Welcome back to an early June episode of the Coach's Plan podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Milani, and can I just say how much I've missed you all over the past three months? It's June 8th today, and the last time you heard from me, we were just finishing our first week of working from home in what I can't believe is March. Really, the only thing I can say now is that 2020 is uh, a year that has cemented itself in the history books. Uh, I know for many of you, you've been away from your teams for at least two months now. It's unclear as to how and when things will return back to normal. Sports are an aspect of life that brings communities together, and I know you're all as keen as I am to see it return to give us a positive outlet. Now, I would be remiss not to mention the Black Lives Matter movement and intense uncivil arrest that's happening in the States and many parts of the world right now. We will be giving a significant amount of attention to the topic of inclusion and diversity in sport in future episodes of the Coach's Plan podcast, as Coach New Brunswick's vision was and is more than ever to see that everyone has access to quality coaching and enjoys a positive sporting experience through all stages of life. Black Lives Matter, and we will be doing our part to continue advocating for inclusion and diversity in sport, especially in sport leadership such as coaching. For right now, though, I'm going to return the attention of today's episode to one specific group of coaches in New Brunswick that have turned to each other for support during these hard times and have used each other's expertise and leadership skills to keep morale high and keep all of us focused on how to bring back some sort of sense of normalcy to the sport world. In partnership with the Canadian Sports Centre Atlantic, Coach New Brunswick has been hosting once-a-week video calls with some professional and full-time coaches in New Brunswick, dubbed the Coffee and Coaching Sessions. We talk about everything from parental behavior to concussion awareness to dealing with uncertainty, which has been a big one over these last few months. I know for myself, they've been majorly therapeutic, uh, getting to listen to these incredible local leaders speak collaboratively and innovatively about how to make sport a better place. We recorded last week's call uh, on coaching during COVID and returning to play, and we felt it was important to share it all with you uh, about how we've been coping the past three months and what we're planning going forward. We do have uh, plans to expand our coffee and coaching sessions to grassroots coaches later this summer, so please stay tuned to our social media for more information. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and our website, coachnb.ca. But in the meanwhile, please enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Coffee and Coaching, uh, which has been a great partnership since we entered lockdown between the Canadian Sports Center Atlantic and Coach New Brunswick. And we just wanted to bring this conversation to the wider audience. And uh, yeah, we're really excited to have everybody here. So we will start with a quick round of introductions. Uh, So Steve, you want to tell us name, uh, maybe where you coach and what sport you coach? Uh, Steve LeBlanc, coach in the mountain area uh, with athletics, track and field. Awesome. Thanks, Mel. Um, so my name is Mel Blanton. Uh, I coach competitive swimming. Um, I'm the head coach of the Koyak Vikings Aquatic Club in Moncton, New Brunswick. Barry? Barry Morrison. I'm a soccer coach based in Fredericton, New Brunswick. I work as the head coach with the Fredericton District Soccer Association as well as the UNB Reds Men's Soccer Program. How's that feel to say? Yeah, <laughs> new. It's a new one to yeah. add, so it's been good. Yeah, I, I think I like that. Yeah, it's great. Barry's title is like kind of like Khaleesi, like it's just getting longer and longer, like <laughs> breaker of the soccer fields kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Renee. So I'm Renee Matt. Uh, I coach artistic swimming out in Woodstock, New Brunswick. Thank you, Manette. Um, I'm Manette Boudreau Carroll. I coach volleyball in whatever region, Moncton basically, but pretty much everywhere. And uh, that's it. Coach at Moncton University of Moncton female program for since '95. So been there a long time. 
Awesome. And I guess we'll, we'll include us as well. So uh, my name is Megan Donnie Wise. I'm the Athlete Services Manager and Game Plan Advisor with the Canadian Sports Center Atlantic uh, based in Fredericton in New Brunswick. Manon? Hey guys, Manon Wallet. I'm the Executive Director of Coach ND, Entraîneur Nouveau-Brunswick. I am a figure skating coach, um, live in Moncton now, so home office in Moncton. And I guess I could say I coach with Moncton Air Posa. Nice. And Ash. Uh, I'm Ashley Milani. Oh, yeah. I'm Ashley Milani, manager of uh, coach education with Coach New Brunswick. I am a rowing coach. I've coached uh, competitive swimming and strength conditioning. Um, thank you guys for, for meeting with us today. Um, as, we, as we've kind of debriefed or pre-briefed, um, we're going to be recording today's episodes that we can share some of these conversations we've been having with the larger community. Uh, to give context to everyone who's listening, um, Coffee and Coaches started as a way for uh, professional level or full-time coaches to get together in the province uh, and discuss some of their issues that they're experiencing, brainstorm solutions, and just get a chance to kind of come together and, and uh, share cross sports, um, which we thought was a, a really meaningful thing. Um, so we, as COVID hit, we moved all of our sessions online, as I'm sure many of you moved your lives online. Uh, and we've been having some really fantastic conversations, so I figured it would be best if we could record some of this and, and share it with the community. Um, so I guess my first question to everyone is, how's everyone doing? Uh, like, can you sum up the last two months in one word or a couple words? Surreal. Yep. <laughs> Adapting. <laughs> adapting adapting and constantly adapting to what to what the new the new real is yeah i was gonna say pivot like having to like you're in a direction and all of a sudden like and change yeah <laughs> you gotta go in the opposite way. Yeah. yeah i was gonna say juggling especially trying to figure out work life home life becoming a teacher trying to figure <laughs> that stuff out with kids Yep. And I was going to say resilient because I think despite everything that's happening, I feel like people are doing okay. Yep. I would say new challenges, but in our, in our, in our environment, challenges is what we live for. So this mm -hmm. is what we like. So new challenges every day. Yeah, that's fair. And I was going to say like, like coaches and athletes are pretty used to having these like extremely pre-planned seasons like you know exactly what day your competitions are and when your training is going to be down to the hour down to the minute even like how how you found that you've been dealing with the like uncertainty of the upcoming months uh based on covid and how has your team been dealing with it yeah that that was uh for for our sport uh we literally finished everything all up in a day we were at a, a normal Thursday practice, and over the course of that day, uh, in the morning, I think it was announced that the Canadian Indoor Championships had been canceled, which was most ath a lot of athletes had targeted that as the end of their indoor season, which is going to happen like a, a week later. Um, that weekend was supposed to be the Atlantic Indoor Championships, which by Thursday afternoon had been canceled. So by the time we got to practice on Thursday night, our season had disappeared in the snap of a finger. So it was a very dramatic switch for people to uh, for athletes to suddenly go from I'm building towards this thing to end my season to that's gone and and that was hard but then 
as the weeks rolled past and we started to realize that there probably wasn't going to be much of an outdoor season, if anything, that kind of was a second wave of like, oh, crap, you know. So there was a lot of athletes that had that really snap moment of everything ended in a, literally in a day and then having to deal with uh, realization as it rolled over over the weeks of like how this was going to impact their outdoor seasons, which again, a lot of them, that's, that's our big season is outdoor. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot to handle. <laughs> I don't want to say we had to talk people off the ledge, but <laughs> – it was it was a lot to handle in uh, in a short period of time. So I, I, some sports I know were kind of already in a an off season transition period, and, and it would have hit them differently. But in our case, it, it was literally at the peak of our season, so it was it was pretty dramatic. That's the same for us too. We were right about to taper for our focus needs. Literally, like we found out on the Friday that we weren't going to have a pool, and I was supposed to start taper on Saturday, and the kids. Had worked so hard leading up to that point because that's that's the whole process for swimming is you build and build and build until your peak performance window and then we drop them down for a bit of a taper and the kids love the taper because it's a little bit easier and it's less mileage and they look forward to it the entire time and we only taper twice a year <laughs> so this was the first one and they had worked since September to get there and I had a swimmer who was uh, training for Olympic trials and um we were in the water well I found out at 3 30 on a Friday Friday the 13th and um we had practice at 4 30 so that was our last practice of the year uh essentially um and uh we uh it just kind of all happened very quickly similar to Steve's experience and it just within a week of that everything started getting canceled and the dominoes started falling and then uh, we ended up in the situation that we were, although right now swimming is kind of starting to ramp back up again. So that's exciting, <laughs> but also crazy all at the same time. So a bit of a roller coaster. Right, you guys, for us, oh, no, oh, you go, go Renee. Megan. No, I was just going to say, I think for us, it was a little bit more gradual only because it kind of happened in waves where First practices were canceled. Then it was, okay, we're going to reschedule these competitions. Okay, now we're actually going to cancel these competitions, but you might be able to have a water show at the end of the year. Oh, now you're not going to have a water show. Now we're, And it was just kind of like everything kept getting pushed until someone finally said, no, like there's no more. And so there was kind of always this hope. And I think everyone sort of waited and was like, okay, maybe it's not going to be so bad. And then when the realization came that, no, it's, it's going to be so bad, I think it hit people harder because they had so much hope. So that was probably the more difficult thing. It wasn't necessarily that the season was canceled, because I think if it had been canceled outright, we probably would have been better able to cope with it because we would have known what we were dealing with. Whereas with this, it was like kind of like a yo-yo where it was like, you might have, nope, you might have it. Nope. And it was kind of really hard to deal with not knowing. And then on top of that, getting information from various sources and trying to manage that made it even harder to kind of communicate that to our athletes and our parents and our like synchro community was, I don't know, I'm hearing this from one source and I'm hearing this from another source and I don't know how to reconcile all this information. I think on our side, what we decided to do, our, our season was a little bit was finished. Um, and we were just practicing and doing our stuff. And maybe it's because I coach a, a higher level as far as age class, like they're adults. 
um, we chose to meet right away and just decide uh, since it was something we couldn't control. It was impossible for us to control. And not only could we not control it, we had no information whatsoever coming from anybody. Um, the people that usually give us information had no information. So that wasn't good. So what we tried to do as a team is just to focus on what we could control, which was continue to train, continue to talk, continue to support, uh, to be patient, to stay off social media, try to get the right information. And we just kept plugging at that. And, you know, it didn't keep us out of that quicksand hole where everybody's kind of at one point wants to question what's going on. But at least I think we grabbed it a little sooner so that our athletes didn't start, you know, grasping for answers somewhere where, you know, a little bit like, a hitter in a slump, you know, changes bad, changes shoes, changes this, changes. I don't think we went that road, but I think it's a it's an experience for me. That's a learning curve for me, how to take control of what you can in an uncontrollable situation as fast as you can. Will probably provide you a little bit more sanity in there, and and maybe keep you a little bit more focused. And 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 Renee's right. We we were as coaches dangled going. You're in, you're out, you're here, you're out. But I chose not to tell my athletes and try to kind of shelter them from that imbalance or this information coming from everywhere and just kind of control what we could control. Got them with our conditioning coach. Let's continue to train. Let's continue to do some video. Let's continue to do some mental training or do what we can. And then let the people above our pay grade decide when we're going to be able to play or what we're going to be able to do. So... I chose to take a different angle, but I could have been wrong, could have been right. It's just a different angle. I know, like one of the one of the hardest things is when you're a coach, you feel like you need to have the answer right away because you're always used to being the person that people go to to have the answers. And and when things are so uncertain, it's it's really hard to just like step back and go like, okay, I it's in this instance, it's better for me to wait. I'd rather like wait and not flip flop back and forth on them and just try and speed an answer right away. Uh, that patience is a really hard thing. So, Well, I, I've been around this game for a long time, and I, it doesn't matter what game. As an athlete, I was an athlete, and, I, and I've never lived through this. So I was in no position to be able to help. And the people that could have helped me were not in a position to help yet. They needed to get some information, get some data, know what's, what's going on. So it's, um, it was a really, really, like, I think Steve said, a surreal place. It's not something that we, we live through often as coaches, have absolutely no power, no knowledge, no nothing, and nowhere to go get it. Um, that was the frustrating part for me, is nowhere to go get it, to, to pass it on. I'm not a type of coach that thinks I know everything. I just think I can go get the information anywhere. So for me, it's but I couldn't. I had my hands tied, and I didn't want that feeling of, of just powerlessness on my athletes. So I kind of decided to take it on me and just pass on the information that I could and, and, and try to keep them as stable and as informed and positive information as possible. So we'll see when we go back to play if it worked or not. I could have missed the boat completely. Um, I have a question kind of to that point. We have a, gr a group of coaches here that coaches like a range of ages and a range of levels from, you know, 
there's some kids and some grassroots, there's adults who play university sport, there's teenagers training for Olympic trials. Like it's a big range of ages and uh, level and sort of the goals that they have. So have you seen different reactions amongst those different groups or have you seen differences in yourselves with how you've kind of handled that as coaches? Yeah, I've had, I've had quite a few different um, types of conversations because, you know, my university athletes, their, their season is effectively the indoor season. I mean, they, a lot of them compete outdoors, but their, their main focus is indoors and their season was done. They were finished. Um, So they were a lot easier with it and more accepting of, okay, well, okay, we're going to, we were going to be kind of doing something different anyway at this point, you know? So they were very accepting of it versus my age class club athletes who their main season is outdoors. And they just suddenly saw their, uh, their world falling apart. They, you know, their whole summer is built around this certain set of meets that they're going to go to and, and go to nationals and da, 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 da. And then that was all just kind of domino disappearing on them for a period of time where one meet after another each week, there was something else that was canceled. So they were having a, a more difficult time dealing with it because that was their season that was going. And then, you know, I have some senior club athletes who, you know, a couple had targeted the, uh, you know, the Olympic trials and things like that as sort of their thing they were going to go to. So once that disappeared, I think they lost a lot of motivation and it wasn't as crushing to them maybe because it was, it was not like, uh, um, they weren't planning on making the Olympic team necessarily. Oh, do we have, you know, I have uh, one athlete that I work with who was hoping to make a national team, not necessarily an Olympic team this year. And that, that disappeared. It was a world junior team that was scheduled. And everybody was kind of dealing with these different levels of disappointment where some of it was kind of a, almost a little bit of a shoulder shrug, like, oh, well, nothing I can do about it. My season's done anyway, to, uh, you know, tears of disappointment that their whole season had disappeared. So it's been a lot of different kinds of conversations with all those different athletes because they were all kind of different places with how they were reacting to it. But at this point, I think they've all mellowed out to the same point of just general, like, when are we going to start being able to do something? Um, but it was definitely different conversations with each, each of those categories. We had the same, the exact same reactions. So I had some kids that were excited that they were going to get a break and that, <laughs> that's okay too. Um, yeah. And we had some kids watching like all of the things that they've worked for just kind of starting to crumble before their very eyes. And so um, very big range of reactions, but I think I've had the most conversations with my grads. Um, a lot of them are feeling like they got robbed of a, of an experience or um, of a part of their passage and, and journey on CVAC that they didn't, they didn't realize wasn't necessarily going to be the same as everybody else. And I think that that's been difficult for them. So it's just been a lot of conversations about accepting what is as it is and, and forgetting about expectations and um, just really discussing how having something like this can either be, you know, a story that you tell as like a cautionary tale later or a story that you tell as, Hey, I lived through this and this was a unique experience that I've had. And, um, so I think just trying to get them looking at it and from a different perspective has been most of the conversations that I've had with my grads. And, and I think, I don't think there's one grad that hasn't had it affect them in a, a different way. So, um, yeah, those are the, the big conversations I've had is with the ones that they're not next year is not going to just be different for them. It's they're moving on. All right. So, yeah. I think there's a different conversation too, by the level of play. 
our elites are getting to us. They are personally talking to us how to continue the training. What can I do at home? What can I do? You have videos. What could I be doing? And then when you start going down, maybe in our sport anyway, like some sport at 13, 14, you're already elite, but for us, no. So once they're 13, 14, 15, we don't really have the parent. We don't really have the athletes contacting us or anything. It's the parents. It's the parents contacting us. What's the road for my daughter now? Or what's the road for my son? How do I get her, stay her, keep her on track so that she still makes that top team and stuff like that. So it's more parents. But when you're looking at the elite on our sport, like the, the ones that are recruited or the ones that are playing on our provincial teams, and those are the ones that are taking it in a little bit more seriously themselves and, and trying to contact us. It's the same thing. I'm looking at some of our recruits that had not signed yet. And, I, you know, they were going to be recruited from January to May. Um, that did not happen. So right now their university career is kind of in limbo. You know, when, when university coaches recruit, you're always on a list and you kind of, you know, you recruit and then you check off the ones you want. But there was no checking off to do so. You know, they're the ones that are pretty nervous and because they know they're coming in as walk-ons, really. They're not going to be coming in as signed athletes. So the elites are the ones that are really contacting me more than the other way around in, in our club. It's more parents that are concerned about how, in, how to keep their kids on the right track. I think kids like the break. The ones yeah. that are not, I think the kids that are just not in that elite group and have not decided what their sport is yet, I think they've enjoyed the break. Yeah, I know for us, the reactions are all pretty much the same, but in terms of how to tailor the responses, it was based on what they were missing from sports. So our younger athletes were missing more of like that social piece where they didn't get to see their friends because they no longer got to go to school and see their friends. And now they no longer got to go to sport and see their friends. Whereas some of our older athletes were missing that structure. So like they liked being able to get up early in the morning and then have breakfast, go to school after school, they go to practice. Like they liked knowing what was coming next. Whereas at this point in time, that structure was gone and they didn't really know what was coming next. And so the way that we addressed it, it was again, the same kind of shock and surprise reaction. And then, it hitting them that wait now there's no more like artistic swimming so what do we do but it, again it was for different reasons and so as much as you want to try to help them cope through it you had to first figure out okay what is it that they're missing so that I can actually tailor my approach to what it is that they need from me as opposed to what I think they need from me or what I would need at this point in time because what I need as an adult is very different than what they need as athletes or as, as young children or adolescents. So that was the trickier part, I think, for me, but also the really fun part. It was kind of that new challenge, like when it said at the beginning, where it was like, okay, now I get to solve this new puzzle and figure out okay, what's best for my athletes and what is it that they need. So I found that motivating and it was fun, but it was also challenging. So moving forward through the quarantine, like what is quarantine really meant for your team? Like has, have you stayed super connected to them? How have you stayed connected to them? Has it been more a hands-off approach? How have you kind of dealt with this, this two month period or so of, of kind of tele-coaching? Yeah, it's been uh, pretty challenging to, because you can't, the way, the way we would normally uh, plan workouts is that you would have sort of, 
as much as possible cohesive workouts for all the different athletes you're working with. So a little bit individualized in each practice, but the overall program followed a certain flow. Um, when I sort of did interviews with each person to find out what they had access to at home in terms of strength training equipment or space to do things or whatever, everybody had such different resources available to them that I, there was no way to make a cohesive plan that would sort of be like, here, everybody, here's what we're doing this week. So I had to go back and create a menu for them right, and say, here's your options to pick from the menu on, on this many times per week, pick something from this category of the menu. And so just the approach to um, how we program, I don't even know if you can call it a program per se, but how we um, keep them doing something productive became a challenge just to figure out what, what can I do? I mean, it became really individualized and, and in a good way though, um, cause I'm a big fan of the athletes becoming more, um, self-reliant I guess so it's made some of them step up and take a little more responsibility for what kinds of things that they need to do and be a little more honest with themselves with what kind of training they need to do you know what are the things that I'm missing what am I not strong enough at and so in a way it's it's probably been a good lesson in resilience for a lot of them to have to sort of fend for themselves a little bit with guidance but still make a lot of decisions on their own and learn a little bit more a little more educated about what they're doing so i've had a lot of educational talks with athletes about why we do certain things and what choices they should make and why we should do them in a certain order so in a weird way it's it's been uh you know going to that silver lining kind of message of like wow like you can learn from this and build from this so it's it's definitely looking at things a slightly different way than we normally do but but maybe in the long term actually of great benefit to a lot of them that's kind of in line with something you said, Barry, in a couple of past sessions that I really liked, that it was a really good opportunity for athletes to become sort of a student of their sport. I really, I always really liked that kind of phrasing. Yeah, I mean, from a kind of youth athlete perspective, we we backed away from, from them with the club. Like we just, we were really heading into the end of our winter season. We'd be into spring tryouts. So they weren't really in teams or anything. And we kind of tried to give them a few things or a few teasers, some places to go search and some opportunities to go and learn about the game in a different way. Um, but left it up to their own, their own desire or motivation to do so. So, you know, as we referenced those who needed the break, they took a break, they kind of backed away and, 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 and took a break from whatever they needed. Those who were keen and really wanting to kind of go at things had a few things they had options to, to go and look at and go and see. And, and create a little bit more of an, an autonomy around their own, their own development and their own kind of progress as players. So, you know, at a university level, we kind of very much went in to become students of the game. Like with the university team, we very much took them on a deep dive into understanding some of the finer points of the game over a few weeks, uh, you know, replace their, what would be their on field time with kind of video and learning and, and them kind of, building and developing a view of the game or, or an ability to watch the game from a, from a different perspective. So that was useful as well. But I think, yeah, big time, it's a big time for me. It was an opportunity to kind of back off. Like our soccer teams often go, you know, 11, 12 months a year. So back off, give people a little bit of space and then, and then let them learn a different, a different method. Any other thoughts from the group? Yeah. Go ahead, Mel. Yeah. I was going to say, we, um, we took, I took the weekend. So we 
finished on the, the Friday and then I took the weekend to kind of sit back and refocus. And um, one of the main goals that we had for the year as a coaching staff was to try and, and bring a bit of a sense of community to the, to the team and to what we were doing. And so we didn't want that whole goal to disappear. So we thought, well, if there's one thing that we can work on, it is community, right? We might not be able to work on swimming skills, um, but we can work on at least bringing, because we did, our team was together. We were in the middle of our season. So we can work on at least keeping that community there. So we, uh, we tried to engage with them um, the way that they engage with the world, which is through their social media. And so we did a lot of um, virtual workouts. So we've done um, a lot of Zoom stuff. Um, I have Zoom meetings with my senior group about once a week, and they've come up with some cool challenges that they can do as a group. So we did in April, they did um, like a million seconds of activity. So they tried to get a million seconds of activity in the month, which was pretty cool. And they kept like a count on how things were going and kept track of it. And um, so they made their million seconds. They actually got like 1.2 million seconds of activity. So they were pretty excited about that. And then for May, they're doing 500K in May. So they're either walking, running, blading, biking. And so we're trying to get to 500K. They're like, they're almost there. <laughs> So they're, they're likely going to hit this goal too, which is pretty cool. So we did, we did some mini challenges with them that way, but nothing to do with, with swimming per se, but trying to keep it just community wise. And, uh, and some of them have taken it upon themselves to get like a garage pool and swim on their own in the garage pool, right? Like they're tethered to the rafters and they're not moving anywhere. They're just, <laughs> they're just <laughs> swimming in a pool. Um, but like, so those ones, they obviously, they want to do that. And there's some that are taking a break and I haven't heard from since the day we found out that the pool is going to be closed and that's okay too. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of been like a, well, if we see you, we do. And if we don't, that's okay. Um, but at least there's something there for them. And similar to Barry, like just saying, Hey, this is a cool link. Go check it out. Um, and you know, some of them, some of them are doing so and it's cool to interact with the ones that want to. So that's what we've been doing. We by the end of the year, we can say that our goal of bringing community is successful. So, I'd like to see, I'd like to to see the setup for the uh, the garage pool. That's yeah. I think I saw a video of somebody doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have we have two garage pools on the go right now. <laughs> so That's they great. bought it from Canadian Tire. It's like an eighteen, I think it's eighteen feet long, and uh, yeah, they're just tied to the. The rafters in the garage and station. Adapt and overcome. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of measuring it by distance, I'm telling them how many strokes to do at a time. That's great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's yeah, pretty I've cool. been innovating a lot of uh, a lot of equipment at home for people. Uh, um, I had uh, one athlete who was doing his resistance training by putting textbooks in an old suitcase, and he was using the suitcase in various ways as his resistance for lifting and stuff. So it's like. Where there's a will, there's a way. I've just even driving around my neighborhood, I've seen a lot of people, well, by a lot, I mean like two or three driveways maybe with um, with like barbells and, and home weight set up on it. And their people are just like doing their deadlifts out in their driveway. And I'm like, really? Like, okay. I'm not sure if I was that dedicated of an athlete, which is maybe why I ended up as a coach. But <laughs> well, can, can uh, I just say that we've... Uh we found a real shortage in the fitness industry. You cannot buy an Olympic bumper plate anywhere 
on the internet or at least not at a reasonable price. And most of the time when you think you found one, it just says not in stock. So um, speaking from personal experience of trying to move my lifting to my garage, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a shortage. Laundry basket full of liquor bottles. That's the most creative <laughs> one I've seen. I wouldn't recommend it for your underage athletes, but you know. <laughs> That one was in my head too, Megan. Yeah, that yeah. one was in my head too. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna out anybody. I'm not naming names. No, oh, I I know what my garage looks like. I could definitely get a workout and a half out of those things. <laughs> Gosh. Um. So obviously, like our styles of coaching have had to adapt. Uh, just, uh, even like over Zoom or, or email or like our communication has really been forced to change uh, through all of this. Like, have you guys found any takeaways that you think you might adapt in the future and keep in your, in your programming or do you, are, you just can't wait for things to go back to normal? I, I uh, didn't know anything about Zoom until one day when I was trying to find out how am I going to, or what platform am I going to use to, uh, to meet with my athletes? and uh, stumbled across Zoom and said, okay. And we do, you know, weekly meeting uh, with the group. And I've had a lot of scheduled meetings where I'll meet with a couple of athletes, whatever, to talk about training or whatever. But oftentimes impromptu, just like, hey, do you have, can you answer some questions for me? And we'll get on Zoom. And honestly, it seems like a tool for sure that I'm going to be continuing forward, even just for meetings, uh, captain's meetings or, or athlete meetings. It seems somehow easier to get everybody online than it than it is to get everybody physically in one place. So I definitely will be keeping this as, as something that we use regularly. And, uh, and honestly, I think it's a great platform. I've done a lot of education stuff with some of my athletes because you can share screen, you know, and I can pull up videos. In some cases, videos that they've sent me of themselves. And we can do sort of one-on-one -on -one learning of, of, of that or, uh, you know, the, the whiteboard feature that I love because uh, I like drawing and doodling stuff and explaining diagrams to them. So it's a tool that I definitely can see continuing to use going ahead, this sort of online platform. Just I didn't know that it would be as convenient for that sort of stuff as it turned out to be. I thought it would be like, a, oh, well, it's the only way we can do it. But it actually turns out it might be a better way to do it in some ways than, um, than, what, we've, than what I've done in the past anyway. So for sure, this kind of virtual meeting environment is going to become a regular feature even after things return to whatever they return to. Yeah. I'll echo that Steve. Like I think um, the, the idea of a phone call versus a face-to-face -face meeting, you, you would oftentimes try and get that face-to-face -face meeting in and you would work and, and try and really get it scheduled and, and get it wherever it could fit. But sometimes that was really difficult. And I think for me, this has found potentially what is an easier spot between that phone call and that face-to-face -face meeting. It's so nice to be able to kind of see somebody. It's so nice to be able to share a document that you can both look at. And, and yeah. sometimes you just need five minutes of someone's time and, yeah. and you would, you would stretch it and drive across the city so that you could sit down and then you would meet for an hour because you didn't want to feel like you drove across the city for five minutes and that would be ridiculous. And now I think it, it can become so simple, right? And with a student athlete environment, I think, you know, you've got the student athletes on campus all the time, but they're not always able to meet you in your office. They've probably got Wi-Fi on campus. You can quickly get them on their phone for a video between classes and have the exact conversation you would need to have a lineup of 10 athletes at your door 
before practice coming in to, to have a two-minute chat each. And you can have each of those two-minute chats with the ability to see people and the ability to kind of get that one little bit more of communication uh, with them in those simple spaces. Now, I'm very cautious that I, this doesn't become a replacement for in-person meetings because I think there's still a lot that's missed in this Zoom environment, although it's been very, very useful. I think there's still a lot that's missed, so I don't want to exclude those in-person pieces. I think they're still critical. Um, but that's been a big thing for me. Well, even I think um, we do like some group meetings once in a while during the, the swim season and to we're starting to get our heads around an operational plan to get back into things because as you guys know, pools are eligible to be open tomorrow. Um, now ours won't be open tomorrow, but it's opening very soon. So we're trying to get all these plans together and a lot of them for the next at least 12 to 18 months, we're looking at social distancing being above and beyond something that has to happen at practice and interacting with the kids. And it makes for difficult conversations as a group because they're so socially distanced that you're almost like yelling at them from afar, right? We just had an outdoor dry land workout and uh, <laughs> I was like, the kids are all spread out, right? And you're not used to that. So instead of trying to like have a group meeting next year in a socially distanced way altogether, this might be a really great alternative is just to whenever we're supposed to have these meetings or we want to have like, like a, like a, a team meeting for goal chats or trying to come up with a, a team building activity. We can always come together on zoom and the kids all know the platform now. Right. And I think that that, because people have worked with it over the course of the COVID shutdown, it kind of, it, it's, a good way to keep some of the new normalcy that they found while we go into this whole brand new normal again, all over again, where the sport looks different than what it did before the cancellation happened. So it's almost like it's, it's a comfy place to kind of come back to every once in a while, just to bring them together for some conversations and, and such. So, yeah. I know for yeah. us, like probably the greatest thing that's happened is that we're now seeing a lot more provincial or like national alignment uh, because of these Zoom calls. So before it was easy for people in Ontario to come together and meet because they're all in and around like the GTA, whereas people from New Brunswick, like we're like, I'm not going to go over like Barry talks about making it an hour long conversation because you're driving across town. So now you're flying to a different province and you're trying to make it a whole weekend as opposed to like to make it worthwhile, right? So with us now with like the Zoom calls, it's been really great because we have a weekly setup with uh, coaches. So whoever can come in on, well, now we've changed the date, but whoever can come in on Mondays and wants to participate in the conversation. And there's usually about 50 coaches that like just get together and they're from across Canada and we talk about different things that we do. And so it's allowed us to get a lot more ideas that aren't already existing online and to have those face-to-face -face conversations with coaches that we would normally see, you know, three, four times a year on the pool deck at competitions only. It's this idea of like, now we can, you know, chat with them and, and see, okay, what is your province doing? Why are you doing that? Like, is it feasible for us to implement it? And then we can bring those conversations over to like our boards and our provincial sport organization and, and talk about, okay, well, here's what Quebec's doing, or here's what some coaches in Alberta are doing. Like, do we think that this is something we can implement or what version of this could we try? Right. So I think other than just 
expanding the community because before I think we sort of felt like an island. Now it's kind of like, okay, we're, we're part of this whole larger community and we can all get on board and go towards this larger goal of increasing sport and, and artistic swimming in Canada. So let's do that and be all on the same page about how we're going to do that. It's also allowed us to kind of try new things. And I think that's probably been the best thing to come out of all of this for us is usually we tell our athletes, like, don't be afraid to try something and fail at it. It's totally fine. But then as coaches, we sort of go back to our routine of like, we know this works, so we're going to keep doing this. Whereas this, like, I'm going to try it. And if it doesn't work, so we're going to try an outdoor workout with everybody. And if it doesn't work for me to yell at all of you when you're all six feet apart, then you know what, at least we know we tried it. And now we're going to move on to a new idea. And so that's been really fun to just kind of try new ideas and see if they work. And if they don't kind of shrug and just be like, okay, what's the next thing we're going to try? Yeah, the interaction with with uh, other organizations, but also one on one, like interacting with other coaches, like in track, and I'm sure the same for everybody. The only time I see some of my, my coaching friends from across the country is at a competition, or even even in the province. The only time we get together is at a competition. And during competition, you're busy. <laughs> you don't have a lot of time to chat to other coaches. You're coaching. And so as a result, we tend not to get opportunities to, to communicate with each other about coaching, about programming, about anything. And I mean, uh, I've been able to connect with a lot of you will know Jason Reindel. Jason Reindel, who's in Saskatchewan now, he and I talked for two hours on Friday on a Zoom call just about what the situation was like in Saskatchewan and comparing notes on what are you doing. And, um, you know, that conversation, while it could have happened previously, wasn't something that we necessarily thought of. But now that everything's happening online, it's like, well, shoot, why don't I just send them a message and say, hey, are you available for a chat tomorrow? And, um, you know, those kinds of things that might not have occurred to me certainly before to do like an online conversation like that. Uh, now that we've sort of become a little bit more of the norm, it, it's amazing. I hope that's another thing I hope going forward is that I keep this contact with, um, you know, my, my coaching uh, friends from across the country and touch base with them and see what they're doing and their programming ideas and talk about athletes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity to, to reach out and communicate with people that was there. I mean, we just weren't all necessarily thinking of it that much. And now it's been bought to the front. At least for me. I mean, you know, uh, I wasn't a real uh, real big online person, I guess. It was a big deal when I got an Instagram account. Go, Are you got an Instagram account? I don't put anything on it, but I have one. Um, but, yeah, now that this has become more of the, the norm, I guess, to do these sort of online chats, it's a tool that I definitely am going to keep using going forward to interact with my, my fellow coaches. It's, you know, and I mean, this kind of platform, this group of people right here on the screen, when would we ever physically all be in the same place? Well, not very often. And so to be able to do this on a weekly basis is, is incredible. You know, and we had the capability to do it before. It's just that it was something that wasn't necessary to do, so we didn't think of it. But now that it's kind of necessary, we sort of kind of have a realization like not only is it necessary, it's actually pretty beneficial. So, yeah, I, I th- this I, kind of thing goes forward. Yeah, I think of like all the conversations I've had with our coaches about like how great it would be if if more sports could talk to each other about like multi-sport collaboration and like how do we complement seasons with other sports seasons that that could kind of be beneficial to each other and how do we like share athletes in a in a broader way. Um and so like personally I as a person who deals with coach development like I hope that 
like things like this enable, even though right now we're just talking about how are we dealing with our own situations. Like I hope in the future uh, platforms like this and, and meetings like this could, could end up being like a broader, broader conversation of like, okay, like how do we now work together to, to solve some of our issues that we're seeing across sport? But that's obviously a bigger conversation, not for today. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to solve all the world's problems today. That's what we usually do every Thursday. Yeah, yeah, we, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, yeah, and that, that's the other thing I think for me, uh, at least in my role, is, um, is COVID hit. We had to move all of our court, uh, like NCCP courses, all of our professional development online. Um, and I think in the past, coaches were, were quite reluctant to, to get online for these sessions, or maybe even we were reluctant because we're so used to the in-person delivery. And, and don't get me wrong, like, I, I completely agree with you guys, like, the, the, like coaching is like about dealing with other people like essentially that's kind of what it boils down to and so if you if you can't have those conversations in person you're not going to really make it as a coach so I don't think online delivery is should be the entire replacement for for in person but it definitely has um a, like allowed a lot larger access and and more convenient access to coaches and I, I've seen more people taking uh, courses as a result of it, which is awesome. Great to see people are using this time to to develop themselves and and kind of use it as that silver lining. And I think since everyone's been forced to move online, everyone's become more comfortable with the platforms. And so, like it's, I, I in some ways I feel like this kind of like pushed us into the future, like five or ten years, where everyone suddenly is now kind of getting getting on board with the idea of we're going to be existing like socially online more often. We're going to be doing it more professionally. Um, so I'm excited for where that's taking us, but uh, yeah, may have had a couple little bumps in the first few weeks, but I think I think we're starting to get the hang of it. I think I understand how to use the breakout room function now and uh, join without muting myself. It's good. Yeah, um, we're doing the same thing um, with uh, NCCP delivery for swimming nationally. Yeah. So all of uh, the LFs, the people that are normally delivering, we've all had to go on uh, an online course and observe and see how it's done and get retrained. And like, that's the direction I think that a lot of delivery agents are going just because it's, it's the only way right now. And so you can't just have no coach training for the the next little while, right? Like that's not going to happen. So everything's got to go online, but then all of your facilitators have to be retrained online. And then, yeah. So it's the one big learning curve that we're all trying to catch up on, but I, I thought I would, I, I mean, I was a negative Nelly in a sense that I'm like, how can you have a swimming coaching course without a pool? Like, <laughs> how do you do that without getting in the pool? And, uh, and I, I, I observed one and it was, it was interesting the different ways that they went around it and, and trying to bring the pool to there and, and having meaningful discussions about technique and drills and, and everything. It was, it was really well done. So I'm, I'm super impressed. I'm excited to deliver one myself um, soon in the fall. So. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting world and, and interesting how quickly we all shifted into the new way of doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, like one of the things that it pushed me to do something I've been talking about doing for years is creating video resources of, of drills and exercises so that if an athlete wants to know, oh, how do I do this or what can I do for this muscle group? I can just point them to, oh, here's some videos of these exercises. And, you know, I used to just try combing YouTube to find examples. And there's tons of them, but there's tons of crappy ones, unfortunately. And some that just don't exist for the drills that I want to show, whatever. So this actually made me 
record a bunch of videos of different exercises and movements showing them how to do the movement that I want them to do. I'm a, I'm a big demonstrator. And so the fact that I'm not there to demonstrate in person uh, was a bit of a handicap at first. And then I realized, oh, well, if I just make a video of me doing the thing the way that, that I want them to do it, then that's, that's good. So I've actually created a, a little library of movements and stuff of drills and things that I can point them to to say, hey, remember, this is what, what this thing is, or that's what this exercise is, or here's what the focus of that drill is. So it's made me create some virtual resources that I've been meaning to and just kind of never got around to. And now it's like a necessity versus a luxury. So it's like, okay, I got to make this happen. So it's, and a lot of other people have done it, which has been great because now there is a huge library of great resources out there that uh, some really good people have made, um, you know, those kinds of demonstration videos and stuff that you can now point people to and go like, yeah, that's, here's a great resource. Here's a library of, of movements. Um, like the American, what is it, the American college of uh, sports medicine? I think it is, has a, no, sorry, one of the other organizations has an online library of strength training movements with like complete descriptions, uh, muscle groups, and and actually like little movies or little gifts of of um, what the exercise looks like. So anytime somebody goes, well, how do I do this exercise? I can just send them the link to that library, online library, and say, here's every exercise you could want in all the different variations. So if you're looking for a hamstring exercise or you're looking for an upper body exercise, boom, there they are. So th there is some great online resources that are either becoming obvious now that maybe existed and some that are being created because of this. So going forward, we're going to have more tools at our disposal that we can, that we can use, uh, which is awesome. <laughs> so another silver lining, I guess. I'm going to circle back a little bit. Some of you were starting to touch a little bit on the whole return to play and, and what it's going to look like when you start getting back in it, whether it's creating operational plans or um, just like how, how are we physically going to exist in our spaces? Um, um, what, so aside from the like keeping two meters apart, proper sanitization, all that kind of stuff, like what do you want to keep in mind or what would you like other coaches to keep in mind as we start to return to play or return to sport? I'll start because this is forefront on my mind. Um, I guess just how it it's going to affect the kids. Like the more that I've got the plan kind of uh, laid out and I presented it to my board last night. Um, so now it's just a matter of formalizing it and putting it on, on paper and, and submitting it to the, the town so that we can get approved to get in. It's very different. And I think it's that it's, it's going from, Everything was as it was, and then it stopped, and then they adjusted to this new online normal that we've got, and now we're going to go back into something that should seem familiar, but it's not going to be familiar. It's going to be a little bit different. I think as coaches, we have to be very understanding of that, and and so the kids, socially distancing is not something that kids are used to, and, and even in my return to play, we're just starting with the older ones just because I... I'm still at a loss as to how we're going to get some of these younger kids to also play and be socially distant because those two things don't go together naturally. And, and I don't know if it'll do more harm than good trying to force that aspect on some of the younger ones and the jury's still out on that. would love to have a conversation at some point with somebody about thoughts on that, but um, just understanding that even when they come back, it's going to be awkward and weird and, and maybe embracing that a little bit and saying, yeah, this is different and let's chat about it if you want to chat about it. But um, I, 
I, I'm hoping that we don't lose sight of the fact that this is all this is all a new experience for them. And even though I'm desperate to get back in the water and, and train and do all of those things, um, I think I think as coaches we might need to also address some of those other sensitive topics um, with the kids too, just because it is a bit of a shock. It, it's shocking to me as an adult, and I've put it down on paper and I've looked at it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's what I've noticed just in the last little mm-hmm. while. But um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see once everybody gets back together and different sports are going to have different boundaries and parameters. Right. So, um, it might be easier for one sport than another, but it's, I think it's all going to be different. For me, I'm hoping for me, I'm hoping that, um, this sharing of information continues and that we can learn from the sports that are starting right away. Um, our sports is, it's not going to start until later, but if I have to start from scratch, then I'm putting our athletes in a, in a bad place. And we're all, we've all been sharing on how to support our athletes, but now returning to play, like I'm hoping there'll be data collection on what works, doesn't work. And then we can share and we can provide information to other sports that are starting later that could actually benefit from that information and, you know, don't have to stumble down a couple of flights of stairs before they get to the plan. And, you know, everything that, you know, so I know it's going to be a lot of pressure on the sports that are starting now, like the low contact sports, but it would be such a tremendous help for those high contact sports to kind of have that information to build their program, to make sure that, you know, there at least some of that stuff we know is right instead of, you know, guessing on every aspect. So I'm hoping that this type of sharing, we continue to do it even as we move forward. We're going to be busy trying to return to play, but we need to find time to continue this sharing so that the sports that are starting a little further down the line, you know, might not have to struggle as much. Yeah, that's a On great it. idea. That's a great one. Got a big star beside that one. Yeah, <laughs> like awesome. I said, right now we're still trying to get into it, but once we get going, I don't mind sharing what we're doing. So, I'm Yeah, and it, you know, and if we could help, if I could help trying to brainstorm with you and do some of that stuff, I would, but I can't I can't be the first starting sport. I'm not allowed. Yeah. So, I don't have that opportunity to come in and help you make your own. I can well, maybe no. help you with with opinions and yeah. stuff like that, but I cannot uh, help you. But you can help me just because yeah. of what you're going to have to go through. Whether well, we, and you know, well, I was going to say we were, we've been trying to make this plan, and I've been trying to reach out to our national sports organization, but they're still making a plan. So there's, we're going to be potentially the second team in the country to be in the water. So the other team is potentially from New Brunswick as well. <laughs> so, so there's, there's no plans. There's, uh, there's no, I, I'm trying to reach out to this organization and that organization, and this, but nobody's done it yet. So there's no answers. <laughs> but you could be talking to Barry. I'm like, okay. So they're like, no, we're going to be looking at you. And I'm like, you're going to be looking at me. <laughs> who am I looking at? Mel, well, you know, that's what I mean. Started- you know who started coming back is tennis. And yeah. so, again, it might be a, okay. like I was talking Cross to someone. Sports. Good, good, 
That's exactly. the thing. The same way that like Monette isn't going back in the water, she's going back on a court. It's still this idea of if she knows what kinds of things you're doing. So like one of the ideas that I heard from tennis is they're putting stickers on the different surfaces and the sticker color means how much that surface comes into contact with people. So like if they're touching the surface, it needs to be clean. So a pink surface needs to be clean every 30 minutes and a yellow one every hour and a green one every six. Like, and so they, they have this and I'm like, that would be really cool because the water or the pool isn't what we're worried about. It's yeah. all the surfaces around the pool. So I'm like, that's a perfect system for us to implement, even though it's not tennis, like it's still this idea of they're, yeah. they're coming up with ideas that I wouldn't have thought of that I can then incorporate into my plan. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I was just going to say um, just the other day. So uh, we have had a committee that's kind of just working on a lot of things provincially. And one of the things that came out of it was there is now a central repository for provincial sport organizations to drop their return to play, to drop their ideas, things like that. So there's a Google drive. I'll, I'll email you guys the link when we're, when we're done here, but there are sports that are starting to share that. But I think Manette, you hit the nail on the head. Like, we can have all that information and everybody can put the best laid plans, but does it work? And that's what people are going to need to be tracking. Like, so this is where my wheels are turning is like, how do we evaluate the things that we put in place so that we can then share those learnings and then they actually become best practices because we've seen them in practice. And I think that's going to be the key. And I think that's a really think, important part to it. I think we need to take it one step further and kind of look at why it's working because mm -hmm there's a or why it's not working right so i mean i'm looking at the stories right now and there's one that just came out from saskatchewan where like yes they you know reduced the restrictions but then people had a gathering of over 60 people and that's not what you're supposed to do indoors right and so like that's why they had to seal back or again we had something in zone five where you know someone crossed the border and then wasn't straight or wasn't forthcoming with what they did and so now we have a bit more of an outbreak and so that zone has had to go back to the orange phase and so like again it's this thing that figuring out well it's not that the plan wasn't working it's it was people or it's not that the people weren't going it really was the plan like figuring out why it is or isn't working i think will also be really important because we don't want to just throw out the idea if the idea was sound, it was just the people executing it that didn't do it. Or again, the execution was sound, it was just that we didn't think about all of the steps or all of the repercussions or all of the ripples that come off of it. So I think going really deep and it's gonna be really hard to track all those things and coach and like keep everybody happy and stay sane and do it. And so like, again, thinking about how we can do this incrementally so that's not just one person, like it's not just Mel that has to pilot test everything for us and then tell us how it all worked, but like how can we come up or how can we use this community that we already have and that we just said was one of the benefits of this pandemic? How can we use that to our advantage? And we have to cut the walls because the level at, you know, whether it's university or clubs, there's usually no information sharing between clubs. You know, you want your club to be better, so you're not giving an awful lot of, but this is not the time. The time is to share so that all clubs can be up and running. You know, if, you, if we don't share, then, okay, my club's going to be up and running, and I'm not telling them what I'm doing to pass. That's not, you know, we need to be sharing a lot of this information so that, you know, you feel that maybe you have, uh, two things you want to try, and but you don't want to try it at the same time because you, you won't be able to have, let's say, precise data 
on on that, well, then you have one club try one thing, the other club try the other one, and then you collect the data. And, and the collection needs to be honest. It needs to be, you know, you can't take a bad result as you're no good. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it has nothing to do about you personally or anything. It's things that we're trying. So I think it's important that we kind of take away the competitiveness which is hard for coaches to take out the competitiveness of, of all this and just let's get out, let's get on the other side of this and then we'll start fighting again to, or who's going to be a better club. But before we get to the other side of this, it is a very important time for us to share all the information and help out in, into trying to find the best practice and, and trying to find, you know, because it's no good for us that, Swimming is going to do it and do it really well. And then we have volleyball or track fail because we haven't shared. It's not going to give, it's not going to make you a a better sport. It's just going to say, why didn't they share? It's going to become the other way around. So I think it's important that we keep this in mind and we try to find ways that, you know, the, the clubs and, and the people that are better organized, we can't ask the small clubs to do that because, you know, they don't have a board. They don't have a technical director. But some of our big clubs, whether it's soccer, whether it's volleyball, whether it's track, it doesn't matter. They have uh, qualified people in charge. And those are the clubs that need to start working on these return to play and, and share. So, uh, you know, it's not a pass-fail. It is a learn. You know, it's a, you yeah. need to learn. And I think reevaluate. We have it built into our plan where it's like in kind of two-week micro cycles. So each, each time, after every two weeks, we're kind of stopping, reevaluating what's working, what's not. Okay, so then before adding another layer of athletes in, so we're starting with just our national athletes and our uh, Eastern qualifiers, so the ones that are at a bit more of an elite level. So there's a core group of nine of them that'll start in the water and then from there kind of like okay how does this work is the system working okay let's try this and then okay so after a couple weeks if that's going well let's try and introduce some more of the athletes in a different level and then how's this working okay is this going well so like baby steps through it but like it would almost be nice as like if we had something like this and can update kind of as we're moving along and as we're learning some of this stuff I think you're right. It's going to be a really good tool. And, and even just to kind of bounce some ideas off of people, just to have a different perspective on things, you might not have thought of something, right? Like the, the touch surfaces, I know that the pool did their own touch surface thing, but I also, as a coach have to disinfect after my practice is done because I'm the one that was on deck, right? That's in our mandate that we have to, to do that. So I have to keep note of that. And that's a, I think I'm going to do that activity myself right? Like I'm going to go, yeah, the water fountain, <laughs> like click on, put something on that. So it's, uh, I already just within our conversations made me feel, um, a little bit more, you know, open and prepared for it. So I'm totally open to having more discussions about stuff like this. You might have to coach from in the water. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you won't, you won't contaminate anything there. Stand in a lane and everybody swims around you. <laughs> Uh, Renee, I had something for you. Um, I remember a few weeks ago you had mentioned that you were worried about uh, when things start back up that your your organization is going to want to like cram all the competitions in a short period of time. Do you still have those f- 
years or do you think that people realize now okay like I think we still need to keep a pretty staggered approach to coming back into this like we should we should be reevaluating how how our sport starts back up or do you think it's going to be still be just go 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 no we like the they've come out with the competition season and they're actually keeping things exactly the way that they were before the problem is they're keeping things exactly the same as they were before and so I'm sitting here and I'm like did we not learn anything like how are we proceeding with a competition in November when we don't know like how are we saying that this is going to be our schedule or our schedule is going to be exactly the same when like schools aren't opening or like like it I don't know I sit there and I'm just like why do we already have a schedule when we don't know what is happening right like I think that to me is now how the concern has shifted to nope we're not trying to cram anything so that's a relief but we're going to pretend like nothing's changed and we're going to keep everything the same. And that to me is kind of like how the information was presented to us where you can have a season, but we're going to postpone things or we're going to reschedule. And so again, it's rather than scheduling events and having to cancel them and breaking the kids' hearts because now they're training towards something and you're taking it away from them. It's let's not schedule anything and let's play it by ear. And yes, we want to know ahead of time because we're a sport where you can't just show up the day of and be like, Hey, is your routine ready? No, like just make it up on the spot. No, it doesn't work that way. But it's it's also this idea of, okay, but how much warning can we give people or how can like, they'll be prepared. They'll still work towards their season the way that it was. It's just, we won't have an exact date of a competition just yet. Like we're lucky in that we're not like swimming. We don't taper. So we don't have to worry about that in that sense. It's just more of a a mental, like, do you feel prepared? If you don't feel prepared, okay, let's only swim the parts that you feel confident in or things like that. Like we have some flexibility, but I think the sport needs to adapt the way that the coaches and the communities are adapting. And I think right now I'm seeing a little bit of resistance in terms of wanting to change or wanting to adapt. And that's what scares me. Um, For the group, um, like, are, is, has there been any concerns around training loads as we start back up and, and looking at this as almost like a return from injury for your athletes as, as most of them have been had a, a two month break? Like Mel, you said, you haven't heard from some of your athletes in, in two months. Yeah, the, the NSO has been really good at releasing documentation on like how to gradually re-increase workloads to the athletes. So that's been amazing. Um, but yeah, there's been some that this would be arguably the longest break they've ever had, because even in the summertime, we don't take this long of a break, right? So um, we're usually going till mid to late July, and we get started back up early September. So they've already pushed beyond what they normally do. So you have to be super aware of that and, and aware that there are some of them that are probably running on their own and, you know, even swimming on their own and they're backyard pools and whatnot and there are some that have been on the Netflix train and that (laughs) is okay but it also means that we're all at different places coming back so you've almost got to you've almost got to treat it like everybody's coming back from an injury or coming back from a long hiatus and we're just going to start off with basic technique I think and uh and just also there's a concern about heavy breathing and being in the area and and that being a, a method of transmission so um, just while they're still getting used to protocols and procedures, no heavy training to just avoid that situation. And once they're used to the procedures, then we can say, okay, heavy breathe away from each other. Um, and 
<laughs> they won't have to remember to socially distance and to do this and to follow the flow of traffic and to breathe away from each other. All well, if you guys get the snorkels going on, it's yeah. all just going back behind you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so a little bit of a gentle reintroduction. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and what's everyone's thoughts on... Um, like more the mental side of things like because you're right it's not returning to sport in a normal environment like we're returning during a global pandemic like are like from a sports psych side of things how, do you see concerns from your athletes are there concerns from yourself everything yeah i have to wear a mask when i coach that's in our plan because as a in a pool if they're in distress and i have to squat down and and hear what's going on and get down to the pool level then I can't maintain two meters of, of social distance, right? So according to the rules and regulations, I have to wear a mask. They're not used to seeing me wearing a mask. And I don't know how that's going to affect them as well in a daily practice life, right? Like that's the, that's the part that I'm concerned about is that it's going to scare them or anything like that. But kids are resilient and I'm sure that we'll find a way. And I've, Got a, I've had a mask, my, no, you can't say anything, but I've had a CVAC mask made. So <laughs> it's got like the team logo on. I'm trying to make it a little less, a little less like clinical, <laughs> I guess. Now, if you want to send it to me, I'll put some gems on it and some sequins and we'll like, yeah, like you want to synchro it up. That's cool. I've, I've been thinking about doing the same thing. So I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I, I got some cool stuff that I could do with it. Like, let's, let's bling this out. And at least then the kids. Yeah. And the kids will actually be okay with staring at me. Like it'll be that they're staring at me because they're trying to figure out what's on my mask rather than they're staring at me because they're scared. Yeah. So That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'll drop a couple masks off to you, Renee. I appreciate it. Well, I'm still waiting for our artsy swim. Like I'm still waiting for the artsy swim stuff, Barry. So, yeah. you know. Like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. Okay. The artsy swim line of masks. I think yeah. that's where you start. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a fantastic idea. No, I like from the psychological side of things, like one of the things we're trying, I'm trying to prepare the coaches for, I'm trying to think of is kind of like, what are the personality types that athletes are going to fall into? And so based on like the crisis management stuff and like injury recovery, like we've looked at the person. And so we pretty much narrowed it down to like four different types. So there's going to be the kids that are excited to be back. Those are going to be the ones that are going to be really hard to like keep socially distant from other because they're just going to be so excited to see everybody that they're going to be excited to try everything. They're not going to necessarily be thinking about all the safety precautions, even though you've told them a hundred times, they don't care. They just want to be back so bad. And so like, again, knowing and knowing that those are probably going to be more for younger kids is preparing the coaches like, okay, this is what you're going to have to deal with. So really be okay with repeating yourself or really be okay with being strict about what these restrictions are, because these kids, it's not going to be at the forefront of their mind then you're going to have the ones who are resistant or fearful to be back. So those are going to be the ones who didn't necessarily train and now are worried about how hard it's going to be. Or those are going to be the ones that are worried that if they come into contact with somebody, they could get really sick or they, they could get their family members really sick. Or those are going to be, so again, with them, it's laying out the plan and being like, here are all the safety precautions we've taken. Can you think of anything or is there, do you have any questions? So like really reassuring them and letting them know, here's the plan. Here's what we've thought of. Like you are safe, but it's like, this is why you're safe as opposed to just telling them you're safe, you're safe, you're safe, because they need kind of that data so that they feel really reassured. They're going to be the ones who are lacking concern or who 
kind of ignoring what's going on. So the ones who think, well, I can't get sick. Like I'm just a little kid. It hasn't been really bad. It hasn't killed many of us. Like, or I'm an an invincible teenager. So like, it's not going to kill me. So again, they're not going to necessarily care. And you could tell them all the safety precautions. You can tell them like that it's going to be okay. They don't, they don't care. Right. So again, for them, it's more about here's what could happen not to you, but to the people that you know. So like, again, making it real for them and kind of reinforcing this is why we're doing it. And it's not necessarily for your benefit. So again, I don't wear a mask to protect myself. I wear a mask to kind of prevent the spread of this to everybody else. It might not be that I have it and it might not be that this mask is, you know, medical grade, but it's, I wear it to protect others. And so that's kind of your job. So again, giving them that position of, your job is to keep everybody else safe. So if you give them that role where they can then use this feeling of I'm invincible, I can do this because like I have this role, I have this power, then it might make them follow the protocols a little bit more. And then you have the ones who are going to be like deeply lost or affected by the situation who are going to be returning to play probably because their parents are like, I can't have you in the house anymore. Like I want you to go back. I want you to try to resume normal activities, but they're going to be so lost. They're not really going to know what to do. They're not going to really want to be there. They're not going to want to engage. And so again, with them, it's about how can I engage them? Maybe it's not getting in the pool right away, or maybe it's not getting them on the court. How can I engage them in this community aspect? So maybe it's that I have a mask for them and they stand on the side of the pool and they help me coach. Or maybe it's that I figure out why, like what they loved about swimming or their sport in the first place. And I find a way to integrate that back into practice. Right. So Again, like thinking about your athletes and, and the coaches, again, getting them to think about the athletes that they've come to know over the past years and using that as a strength that we have with these smaller coaching groups is, okay, prepare yourself. Where do your athletes fall in these four categories? And it's not that you're permanently fixed in one category. You might have a kid that flip-flops between the four, but it's this idea of, okay, what are you going to do or how are you going to prepare for these types of athletes? Because I think that's also really important for returning back to play is we can put all of the environmental things, but the people element is probably the most important one or the one that we need to be thinking about. And the one that's probably more, most variable and that we can't control. Like it's, it's one that we want to control, but it's not necessarily a controllable. So planning in that aspect um, would be a really important thing to do. So if anybody wants to talk about athletes some more or wants to talk about, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. But Basically, really quickly, those are those are how we've categorized things, and there. <laughs> no, that's super helpful. I'm hoping that um, through the early sports that are going in, the later sports will have the benefits of kids talking to kids and sharing what they've had to go through in their sport, and it'll become less scary. So what Renee's talking about in that bottom level that the kids that are almost terrified and and so anxious about coming back, we will reduce them. It's not that they won't be there, but we might change category a little bit because through the friends communication, they might not come in at the lowest rank. They might move up to the medium. We will still have some in the bottom that are really resistant at coming in and, and feeling scared, but and, and it would be even better if school was still on because that's where they're going to have that conversation about this is what I had to do in soccer or this is what I had to do in swimming and it was fine and yeah, it was scary at first, but it wasn't so bad. So so the, the feeling of some of the athletes that are going to go into the later opening sport 
they'll have a lot more information than the kids that you're going to deal with right now. The kids that you're dealing with right now, they're going to come into your gym and go, whoa. Where I think our kids, when they come into our gym, are going to expect some. I think they're still going to react in a, in a very scared way, but I don't think it will be as uninformed as your kids are going to be, whether it's soccer, whether it's whoever's starting right now. I think the kids are up for a shock because too many of our community want this to be something of the past and it will never be. And we know that, but the parents want the kids to think that everything's okay and everything's going to be the normal, but the normal they knew will never exist again. And that shock is going to be unfortunately on the first sports coming back. So it's, it's going to be tough because it's going to be, I thought, mom, I thought you said it was going to be normal. Then the parents are going to be in there too. And everybody's going to be, you know, parents, they're going to come in and, you know, they're going to, they're, they're going to ask the question, why do we do this? And then unfortunately the kids today, because of their cell phone, they are almost invisible sometimes in adults conversation. And the adults have a conversation, very scary sometimes, and the kids are standing right there. So if the parents are going, I don't understand what they're doing, this, and la, 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 and the kid's in the couch and playing on their phone, they're still hearing you. So you're going to have not only the kid's anxiety a little bit, but you're going to have the parent's anxiety until they see how your sports go through and then maybe talk to, you know, this, this shared information might, might ease off. But it's going to be, it, it's, it's not going to be a good thing to start. Like I'm, I'm almost happy that I'm in the higher uh, contact so that, you know, we have some data. We have something to help and to, 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 to ease that anxiety that coaches are going to get. We're talking about kids, but coaches are going to get it. Like nothing about coaching is going to be the same. The coaches that said, you know, I don't need a certification. I've been coaching for 20 years. And what is this? Can I be grandfathered in? Where do you think they're going to go right now in this new world? So we're going to have to be recruiting some more coaches. We're going to have to retrain some more coaches in a new way. It's, it's a, overall, it's a new challenge, a very scary challenge. I think you know, the sport, sport in general is up for that challenge, but we're not out of the woods yet. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Steve. I was going to say, we're going to have like track while athletics is one of the early returns. We're also going to be one of the latest returns because we can't do all of our events. Um, Like you can run and you know, that's a non-contact environment, whatever. But uh, if you're pole vaulting, you're landed on mats that everybody's landing on the same mat. So it's going to be a later time frame when we're able to do that. And then, I coach pair of throws. I don't know when I'm ever going to be able to run a pair of throws practice. There's no way to socially distance with a wheelchair bound thrower. I have to re- retrieve the implement for them. Um, I have to strap them, you know, help strap them into their chair. Now the ones I work with largely can transfer themselves from, from their uh, chair into the throwing chair and things like that, but it's not something you can be physically distanced while doing. So I have no idea when I'm going to be able to, um, work with those athletes, especially because those athletes also tend to be in an at-risk population besides. So they've got a lot of, we've got a lot of obstacles to overcome before I'm able to hold a 
a uh, pair of throws practice. I don't even have a time frame in mind when that's going to happen, unfortunately. Um, you know, so we're going to be both an early return to play and a late return to play because we're going to be phasing in events for the next year or so. <laughs> um, I have no idea when we're going to be back to being able to do all of our different things. Um, but it's going to take a while. So we're going to be learning from ourselves, I guess, and hopefully learning from others. But like I say, there's some of our, some of our subpopulations like the para category, because most of them come in with some extra um, health issues that are at risk. And then just physically the demands of some of our events, whether it's like I say, seated throws or whether it's, High jump or pole vault or things that are very equipment dependent. We're uh, we're a long way away from being able to figure out how to do those things safely. It's going to be a long haul for athletics to get back to full return to play. We're going to be we're going to be phasing in for a long time. Barry, uh, just a question for you: Have you had uh, or looked into the legal part of you know not being ready, maybe with? Uh, athletes with disabilities or, you know, how, how to integrate them. And Melanie too, like you said, you were going to start with the elites or Steve, you can't have, um, you know, the paratroopers. Uh, is there going to be, you know, some of these kids coming in and parents saying, this is not fair. This is, you know, we need to be included now. And uh, so that's another part, you know, how, how are we going to deal with dividing and just providing a certain service for certain athletes in our community or our sports? And are we going to see legal things going down the line? Um, that to me is a scary thing too, because uh, you know how we're supposed to be all inclusive, but there are some things that you can't do now with um, some of these athletes with challenges, right? So did you, I know I read some of it. I didn't have time to finish all your return to play policies, but uh, I didn't see anything in there. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot fully on kind of, if you're thinking about like athletes with disabilities or any of those aspects, like I don't think there's a lot of information out there. The legal side, I think appears to be a little bit kind of sketchy for lack of a better word. And that, and that I'm not sure that there's, for example, like insurance on liabilities and what sorts of things will constitute liability within this sort of framework. Um, you know, all of that's a little bit up in the air, but best that we can tell, like the most important piece is going to be just like really clear communication, really deliberate communication, you know, everything from like, here's what the risks are, right? The risks are going to be this, 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 and this, and here are the, here are the potential you know, aspects of that. Right. And, um, you know, ensuring that that's kind of fairly, fairly clearly communicated, right? Like we all want to say, okay, our sport's doing everything we can to minimize risks. And I think that's going to be really important for us to be doing all of those things. But I think at the same time, we're saying we're making all these steps to minimize. We're going to have to acknowledge places that risk is still going to be, uh, be there why it's there and and how we and how we've tried to address that risk and then and then as we get into like the different populations that we'll return to right like whether it be returning elites first or returning certain age groups in some cases first or or not returning certain age groups for example in soccer's return to play plan we don't have um 
you know, right away in this phase, we don't have the ability to return like our under fours and under sixes based on kind of guidance from, from our national and provincial bodies, which probably makes sense, but we just have to be, be good about communicating with families. Why is this group excluded? Why are we not including this group in our initial return to play? Right. And, and in those age groups, um, you know, just, just helping people understand the rationale and what will come next because some other sports, for example, may return those age groups, right? They may say, Oh, look, it's easy for us to return four or six year olds in our sport. And that's going to be an important thing for us. So, so people may say, well, how come four-year-olds can be involved with gymnastics, for an example, but not within soccer? And, and, and how, come, how come you've made those decisions? So I think just kind of clarity about some of that stuff is going to be really important. Um, and I think at the same time, from a, from a big picture perspective, I think because there's so little information, like some of the big legal concerns are a little bit more difficult, right? Because there's no like there's no best practice anywhere in the world for returning after from returning from a pandemic to, to, to our sporting environment. Like, so from a, you know, from a liability standpoint, there appears to be, you know, although there's no coverage for liability, it may be very difficult if, if you're really making a decent effort, like there, it will be very difficult to kind of prove liability because there's nowhere on the planet that's really been like, Oh, we've nailed this. Here's the guide and the best practice. So it would be very hard for them to say like, oh, you threw that out the window. Unless, of course, your return to play protocol was come back in. Good luck. <laughs> you know, you know, don't don't come too close. See how that goes. And everybody just kind of had a free for all. So, you know, assuming that you're doing your best and you're, and you're following guidelines, like, you know, so I, I don't think there's an answer, but I think that there's, you know, things we can do to be to be prepared and, and safe just based on the investigation I've done. Um, and then, and then go from there, but it'd be great to get even more guidance, I think on some of those, on some of those aspects. Cause I do think like in our nature as sports, one of our big things is, is we, we push to get things done. We know that a day or a week of training can be a big difference for us. So we're always trying to maximize that day or maximize that week. And we're, doing everything we can to get to get ourselves back into these environments as quickly as we can. So just, you know, ensuring we get guidance on, on, on giving ourselves those check-ins and making sure like, okay, I'm not just checking boxes to say I'm doing something, but I'm really, I'm really doing it. I think will be kind of an important task and an important aspect of it all. Yeah. I think too, with the, when you're dealing with, um, with, you know, sort of special populations within our, our sports, you know, whether it's para or whatever, um, you know, a lot of the parents and the athletes involved are aware that they are probably in an at-risk population. So some of them, if anything, some of them are probably going to be more conservative about coming back to the training environment than, than others, because they're aware that they, you know, there are these extra hurdles, if you will, that, that are standing in the way of them having a safe training environment. So, um, certainly the ones I work with, I feel like that's going to be, um, they're not going to be rushing to get back into it. They're going to be making sure that everything is, you know, is, is safe and everything's going well before they jump back in just because they're aware that, you know, it comes with an extra risk and, um, you know, they're, they're used to risk management, <laughs> honestly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is going to be a tough situation though, because eventually, you know, you want those people to get back in training, especially because I mean, I, you know, I have a, 
an athlete that's a, a national, multiple national medalist in the pair of throws, and she's going to be itching to get back there and get training and whatever. But at the same time, she also knows that she has, you know, she's in an at-risk population. So it's going to be tough at some point for her to sort of decide when she feels safe enough to do it. And when I feel like I can create an environment that's safe enough for her to do it. So it's going to take a while and it's, it's not an, it's not going to be a straight line, I suspect. Yeah. Like I've been trying to figure out like, you know, if, if the, if, if the risk that we, the inherent risk that we're adding is kind of contracting COVID or being, or spreading COVID in the community, like by association, does that kind of increase like the risk of death to us returning to our sport? Like, is that increased if that's the feeling of, of where COVID goes and, and, and what does that like, you know what I mean? How is that part of it or rationalized or, or, or included with things? I, I don't know if that's, like a realistic thing to think about, or if it's just kind of like really going, going way too far. Right. And, and when we talk about people with maybe immunocompromisation or anything like that, like, you know, how does that factor in, you know, young kids who live with their grandparents, you know what I mean? Like, or, or somebody else who may be immunocompromised, like how does all of that factor into things can be really difficult to, to judge. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think in the end, too, any of our return-to-play strategies, in the end, it's the buy-in from everybody involved, right? Like, everybody involved in the whole chain has to buy into this is why we have these guidelines. It can't just be the coaches. It can't just be the parents. It has to be the athletes, the parents, the coaches. Everybody involved has to buy into this is why we have this strategy, and it's not like, oh, yeah, that applies to other people, but we're fine. Like we have to have everybody buy in. Otherwise it's, it's going to fail. And we're not even going to know why it failed maybe because we're going to say, look, we had good guidelines, but obviously we didn't do enough, but it turns out it, the guidelines were fine. It was just, you know, like Renee said, uh, you know, sometimes it's the people failing and sometimes it's the guidelines failing. Well, sometimes you're going to have really good return to play guidelines in place, but somebody's not going to buy in, you know, much like uh, our, our recent upbreak up North, the guidelines were in place, but they weren't followed. And as a result, Something happened. And so it's that buy-in that's going to be important. So it's, you know, really important to have those conversations with our, our athletes, parents, everyone to say, this is why we have these, these rules. This is why, you know, these are necessary and everybody's going to have to sign off on it and say, yeah, we need to do this. Whether you believe in it or not, whether you think it's necessary, this is what it says we have to do. And you got to commit to doing, you know, following those guidelines. Otherwise it's, it's, you know, just a domino's waiting to tumble. Um, I'm, I'm just noticing the time now. I, I promised that we would keep this around 90 minutes. So I'll keep, I'll ask one last question of the group and then we'll leave it at that. Um, so circling back earlier into the conversation, we had talked a little bit about silver linings within the, within the, our, our, our break, whatever you want to call it, isolation, quarantine. Um, what has been your silver lining from all of this? trying to end it on a positive note um, my, my positive note is my family has never seen so much of me in their you know in our entire life they have never you know they're used to me being away for weeks sometimes months at a time and being away every evening at practice i i don't think they've got tired of me yet but it definitely is the most they've ever seen of me i think that's good <laughs> i think for me it's balance um, and it's something that I didn't necessarily have before. And it's something that because 
I've had to take a step back a little bit and, and things have been online. I've been able to find a little bit more of that balance. And that's something that I'm hoping not to lose going forward. You know, everybody says that there's a part of this that they don't want to necessarily, it's like, we don't necessarily want to return to everything to normal, right? There are some good things that have come from, from this. And I think for me that the balance aspect is a good thing. So fingers crossed, I can keep it going. Very recharge for me. It's been a recharge, like, like a, a break in my normal routine and kind of as like Mel says, like just not quite having the same sorts of sorts of commitments uh, as regularly. So probably, uh, probably pushed off burning out for, for at least another, another couple years and then, uh, and then, and then get another run at it. So kind of trying to maintain more of that balance kind of coming back into the real world will be will be the challenge and and kind of as steve says just just being around family a little bit more has been really valuable for me as well i think for me it's been like we've talked about intrinsic motivation and stuff from the athletes but i think for me it's been that intrinsic motivation and the increased opportunities to learn so it's this idea of like i'll see a course and i'm like whoa, it's offered in the Yukon, but I can take it because we have Zoom. And so like, it's fantastic that I'm like, I can take, but then I ask myself, I'm like, am I just taking it for the sake of taking it? No, I actually want to learn something. And so like, I sit there and I'm like, I'm getting a lot more out of it because I'm choosing to engage versus being forced to engage, to check something off or to get the criteria to get that certain level of, or maintain my level of certification, right? Like it's this idea of like, I'm genuinely interested in this and now I get the chance to take it. So like it's the combination of both of like I get to explore some areas of interest and figure out that I really do love them or it's also this idea that now these opportunities have exist that before were only available in person and that I couldn't make it to because I couldn't do a meeting in BC, Ontario, Alberta and New Brunswick all in one day whereas now I can. It makes for a very long day and it doesn't recharge me or doesn't provide as much balance as maybe Mel and Barry talked about, but it's this idea of like, wow, like it's fantastic to have this opportunity. For me, it's this. That's it. I've, I've coached, I've, I've coached uh, a long time and we've coached in really isolated circumstances. And a lot of the time we have a lot of questions coming towards us. Uh, but we don't have a ton of questions that we can get answered with people at the same level, people that are thinking the same way. So for me, this has been um, tremendous. New contacts, new communication, new. This to me motivates me to see youth coming in with the same intensity that I had and I think I still have. It's just giving me uh, a very um, positive outlook on where sport is going. Um, and it's allowed me a lot more um, contacts and forced me out of my box. And I'm not in a in-box type coach anyway, but it really forced me out of my box. And sometimes you just need to come and talk to other people that are quality coaches to know that you're either on the right track or get your things together because you're in the wrong track and start moving. So it, it kind of keeps you in check. And uh, so, so this to me has been the, the really biggest silver lining um, that I've had is just to be able to communicate with other really, um, you know, passionate coaches out there. And it's not even in our own, my sport, but it doesn't matter. It's just 
it's just the passion about coaching and about the athletes. And so to me, this is a, this is it. Um, again, thank you guys for coming on and, and, uh, and speaking with us and we look forward to chatting with you guys going forward. Um, Megan's going to be sending out some emails about how things are going to be rolling out through June and July because we still want to see your faces. Uh, but I know some of you may be starting to return to some activities. So I know your schedules might not be quite as flexible as they have been over the last couple of months. So, uh, we're not going anywhere. We'll keep seeing, we'll keep doing this just like you said, Manette, or Manette, um, that like this is like the most valuable thing like even to me in my own role uh with coach nb like get it just getting the chance to connect with coaches who are on the ground doing hard work it really refocuses where uh where our organization pushes our professional development and pushes our focus so i love this i know you guys like it uh we're excited to keep doing it <laughs>